Welcome to the Stories in Our Roots podcast. I'm your host, Heather Murphy. In this podcast, we dive deep into how knowing the stories of our ancestors can make a difference in our lives today. Discovering our family history is more than a hobby. It is a way to connect deeply with ourselves, those we love, and the world around us. Hello, welcome to Stories in Our Roots. Thanks for joining me today. I am Heather Murphy. Today's interview is with Andrea Beitrut. We had a great conversation. She is a first-generation immigrant. She was born in Romania and now lives in Canada. And we talked about the effects of two world wars, famine, and so much more on her parents and grandparents, which still has an effect on her today and how she's been able to recognize the effects and how she's been able to choose what she wants to use moving forward. Andrea is a heart imagery teacher at the School of the Heart, an entrepreneur, trauma-informed writer, speaker, storyteller, leader, home educator, and host of the Healing Through Oneness podcast. With a background in sciences and technology, commerce, law, public services, she has worked for both nonprofit and for-profit fields. Originally from Romania, Andrea currently lives with her husband and three children in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. She loves to create, invent, inspire, build, and see the world in all its beauty. Here's the interview with Andrea. Hi, Andrea. Thanks for joining me on my podcast today. Thank you, Heather. It's a great pleasure to be with you. Would you start by introducing yourself a little bit, please? Yes. My name is Andrea Petruz. This is my real Noma- Romanian name. In English, could be Andrea Petruz, one version. And I come from Romania, where I lived since I was born for 36 years. And then I moved to Canada in 2017. I'm currently living in Toronto with my husband. He's the one uh, I came here for. <laughs> okay. And we live together with our three children, my two boys from a former marriage and the child with him. I am an intuitive life and relationship coach, and I love working with people with deep healing and transformation, which also means understanding our relationship with our ancestors. And that's why I love your show, and I wanted to be here with you. (laughs) Well, thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about your family in Romania? Yeah, my father is a construction engineer. He's 70-something, 76, I think he is. Oh, yeah. He, actually, he's not 76. (laughs) Dad, I'm sorry. (laughs) My mom was born in 1946, my dad in 1948. And I, I love them very, very much. Actually, the reason why I love my ancestors is my dad. Because when him and I would sit in the kitchen he would share stories about his grandparents whatever he could remember and I would just you know listen listen and ask some questions if I needed more clarity and I heard these stories on and on on and on and that's what helped me connect with them on my mother's side my mom died when I was 11 And she could not share these stories. So the only one I could speak about was my grandfather, her mother, and then my cousins and whoever was still alive to be able to share. So this is how I put back some pieces of the puzzle. On my mother's side, I discovered that I have a grandfather 
who was adopted by a family, like a family of landlords or bourgeois. It seems that he had Jewish blood. And my grandmother came actually from Ukraine, a part that was in Romania, but now it's part of Ukraine. I don't know exactly how and when, but a long time ago, because she was born in 1917, if I remember well. And he was born in nine, almost 10 years before, in 1906. Somehow she crossed the border and she got into the village where he was and they got together. So I have this kind of heritage there. On my father's side, they are all from Romania. With one thing that I thought would be a difference, but it's not. And I say this because they come from the center of the country. They moved to southeast, where is my hometown. And I learned that my father lived with his father, mother, his siblings, two sisters, and a brother. And also, they had a grandmother. And the grandmother had... What I thought was the husband, but he was not. And there was also an uncle. Now, the husband I'm talking about, he was Greek. And I thought I have Greek blood, but we are not blood related. And I say this because my name, Andrea, is given by my father, thinking that Andreas in Greek means courage, bravery, manhood. And he said, that's going to be my daughter's name, Andrea with one E. In Romanian, by the way, it's double E. So I see like two big branches just because one of them has my maternal grandmother and grandfather who are not pure (laughs) Romanians, you know, and the other ones are. Okay. Would you share a story about one of your ancestors that is meaningful to you and maybe help us understand what kind of life they had living in Romania in the mid-1900s? Oh, now I remember now what I heard that my maternal grandfather, Nicholas in English, he was a tall man and he had integrity and nice posture and everything. And he loved to ride horses. (laughs) He took care of land. He was a great merchant and a great, I would say, manager uh, in, in modern times. He was able to take care of a real estate and make sure everything is fine. What I noticed is that that experience that he had in those times helped him always, always make money, no matter what happened. Because we had communism. So we had the second world, after the second world war, what I remember, we had famine, communism, 1989, the revolution came. And then we tried to learn how, what democracy is. Well, in any kind of time, whether it was famine or not, my grandfather and grandmother always could do something and they were, they were okay. Their family did not start. That idea of a grandfather riding horses being so kind, I don't know. <laughs> I cannot say that about him. What I can say that I assume from what I heard that he was charming. And it's something that, although he was old, like I really love my grandfather, the way he looked and the energy that was around him and his personality. And the most surprising way about him is that he did not go to school. If he had four classes, I think that's a miracle. He could not even write properly. 
but he had a brilliant mind and a sense for commerce and for managing. And although I don't know details of how he did it, somehow I see it in my family that it was transmitted through younger generations. And I love that. I used to tell people, oh, I didn't have a business owner or entrepreneur in my family. But then I was like, wait, it's my grandfather. He was a bourgeois, but then everything transformed and he still kept his skills and abilities and he had his own businesses anyway. (laughs) So as you said, that area of the world has had a lot of war and famine. And how have you seen those things affect your family and the effects that have come down generations from that? I think both branches had similar issues. What is most obvious for me now, thinking of your question, is that scarcity, the scarcity beliefs in the subconscious on my grandmother, the maternal grandparents, is the idea that you got to have assets, you got to have land so you can survive, support your family no matter what. This was one thing. They always had assets, which is not the same thing on my father's side. They had nothing. And they really went through horrible times. So on my mother's side, the idea of the merchant, of the entrepreneur, have assets, have some land so you can grow, have a garden so you can make wine and sell it, have bees so you can sell your honey. Like they always had something like that all the time. They managed, even when my grandfather was in jail, Because they had something they could bring in. He was treated, I would never say fairly, but I would say he was treated kindly, not horribly. So on one side is having assets. On the other side is savings. My grandmother had this habit of always saving, even if there was not much to save. (laughs) Barely making it, but somehow she managed to save. The problem is, and this is the subconscious limiting belief that I noticed with me remembering the moments and the history is that before 1989 when she saved money they had a value after 1989 in Romania thanks to the change inflation no value so let's assume that it was U.S. dollars she had thousands of U.S. dollars in her account and then she showed me Andrea it's only 1.25 dollars that shocked me and it really was so deep that I, I realized I have to work to heal that, that stuff and shift those beliefs around that. Because one side I have buy assets and on the other side, don't save because it won't have value. <laughs> and another mm-hmm. thing about my grandmother, because she I say about my grandmother because she's the one who worked with money and she saved in the bank and she also put money in a jar so my uncle doesn't steal them. And that those are other limiting beliefs that I noticed. And then money under the mattress. It is true. Grandparents do keep money under the mattress. <laughs> she did. She surely did. But in her case, it was not to save. It was not to allow my uncle to take money from her. So she tried to make sure that she still, her family still has some money and he doesn't take all all of it away. And I keep saying about money because this is a big thing for me. It really affected me in, in many ways. How it affected me is I loved spending and I did not want to save. 
And that's not a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) I love having money, but it's like having holes in our hands. Scarcity again appeared on my father's side this time, meaning that they had no assets. They had no ways of supporting themselves, being self-sustainable and how they made it through the Second World War, like in, I think in between 45 and 47, there was famine. So in order to make it through, they actually went back to their own roots in the center part, center, center west of Romania, where the situation was not as bad. They managed. And when things went back okay after the war, then they went to their home, which was actually ruined. My father and one of my aunts told me that they slept on a door, like literally a door of the house was put in a way so they could sleep on it. One of the walls was supported, the walls of the house was supported by I don't know what, because it will fall, like horrible times. They always have to choose, you know, the mother, my grandmother would not eat properly. So she could feed. So again, a lot of scarcity and this idea of we are poor, it really affected all of us in the family. And one thing with the war here, because you asked me and my grandparents went through two types of wars, World War One and World War Two. Well, I don't know about the, the first one, but the second one, I've noticed one of my aunts, she is really fearful. Like she has lots of fears. She goes into panic very fast. She, mm, forgive me, aunt, if you ever know I said this, (laughs) but she really cannot live a normal life. She is the oldest and she was there when all the traumas happened. We talked and I told her, look, I think from what you told me that you have been affected all your life. Your health has been affected. The way you engage with people and life and everything has affected. In her case, it feels like she enclosed herself in a small life only because she did not dare to take care of herself more, to respect herself more, to do certain things. My lesson, I don't want to have that life. So I learned that those have been passed on to me and I need to shift those fears. And it was a lot of work. What is something or a little bit of how you worked to shift those inherited beliefs and examples from your family? The first thing was awareness, hearing some stories and talking to my relatives who share that story to understand consciously what happened and see what's their opinion, how we we look at it. Awareness is the first thing, being aware of what happened. And looking at your own life and see uh, if you see the patterns. Do you see anything related to scarcity? Do you see anything related to spending? Like in my case, uh, Mm -hmm. I say that's the analysis in my case. And I did see that. And unfortunately, it was not always a quick fix, you know, Mm -hmm. because there are layers. I discovered that, well, subconscious is a very deep world. (laughs) (laughs) And... Awareness and consciousness is the superficial level. Then you go deeper and deeper and deeper. And I think you also work with this too, because you talk about relationships on your website and we have relationships with everything. So I had to think of relationship with my father, mother, with all the living members in my own life. And then think of their relationships uh, in those times, like, (laughs) you know, the family tree, 
I did it, or you can do it also in, in looking at this perspective. What has affected each family member that I know? And the most important that I've seen is the first three lines mm-hmm. of ancestors. This, they are the most important thing. That's a good point. Yeah, I definitely like what you're saying about focus on those three generations before you and really go deep into their relationships as well. I often see in the people that I work with in genealogy that they're just trying to follow those lines back. But if you really want to understand yourself and why you are the way you are, you really need to understand those first few generations and what happened to them, what happened to their siblings, because if their siblings had some things happen to them, that affected them as well. And the parents and aunts, It's just so important to slow down and think about those relationships. Think about things that are going on in their communities or in the world and how did that affect them because they pass those things on to the next generation and you get part of it too. Yes, I totally agree with that. You know what else helped me, Heather? I think this this would be a bit surprising in a way. I'm writing my spiritual memoir and I have to go back in time and see my own history, history of my family. And I discovered that even tools we would not think would help us, like writing a book, also are shifting something and are diving deeper into things we haven't thought about that help us heal, transform, honor our ancestors and really understand their lessons. For me, it brought a lot of curiosity and wonder, despite the things that I heard in my family that were not okay. For instance, on my uh, maternal grandmother's side, they were seven siblings. She was the only survivor. The rest died in different circumstances. And one of them, one of her siblings was horribly treated by the stepfather. He was beaten in the head. You know, at first, when you hear things like that, whatever happened in the family, you're like, oh my God, how could they do this? On the other hand, if you just take a step back and you're looking from a different perspective, like you said before about what happened in the community in those times, well, in that part of the country, people were living at the countryside. They didn't have much education. They didn't think about how to raise their kids. They didn't think about like us now. Conscious parenting, emotional training, don't yell at your child, don't do this, don't do that. I mean, we cannot, first of all, we can't judge like you and I were were talking about earlier. We can judge, but why judge? Let's first show compassion and look with new eyes at a generation or generations that did not have what we have now, did not have the consciousness, awareness, education, tools, possibilities, opportunities, and the peace we have now. How can we expect? Plus, let's not forget, we don't know, at least I don't know, who was a healthy, uh, mentally healthy person and who was not. Even nowadays, we discover just through an MRI that, oh, you know, your corpus callosum is not completely developed. And you haven't, you didn't know. You lived all your life with some things and everybody was saying you, you have a problem or that, but nobody knew what? So if we need time and tools to discover something, surely they were going for some things we don't know. And showing compassion brings our wisdom to the surface. And with that wisdom, how do we, and I mean, you're kind of already started and you're doing this, but how do you take what you learn from the past 
and use it to impact the future? First, ask yourself, what do you like and what you don't like about your past and the past of your family? When you find out, the second question that I realized we need to ask is, what can we change? Because if you didn't like that a war was going on, I well, the first thing we can change is keep the peace. But you cannot, if something happens if, and there's still a war, you cannot do <laughs> anything. Mm-hmm. If, you know, So it's just think about your power, what you like, what you don't like. What can you change out of this? And how do you want to change it? What would you like to live? What kind of life? What kind of environment? What do you want to offer to yourself, your spouse, your children, your friends, your community? And once you have that clarity, put on paper one side what I don't want anymore, one side what I do want, then look at what you don't want and ask yourself, what are those stories that affected me? Or what are those beliefs? Or whatever is it there? that makes that thing still exist or that could be passed on and then stop that by making the shift, making the switch. Maybe it's a bad choice that somebody made and you're learning and you're like, okay, so in order to have a beautiful, harmonious relationship with my spouse, I need, let me see, what do I need? Maybe I need more humor. They didn't have humor those days. Okay, I can try that. Or anything else. So just pick what worked for them and keep it. And what didn't work for them, you try something else. And this reminds me of what my father said. And he said this, Andrea, you know, making the same mistakes on and on, on and on, it's stupid. Save your time, save energy, save anything by learning from us, your relatives, your friends, coworkers, bosses, anyone in your life, just learn from us so you don't do the same mistakes. This way, you always go further as a generation. You're always at least one step ahead, maybe even more. And you can fulfill more dreams. So this is one way to change. And he was right. He was totally right. And another thing he said, from what you hear from us, from what you see here in your family, take what you want to keep and leave out the rest. Make your own. And I took it to the heart. I did, like he said. Some things are repeated, but I realize over time. So this is how I would say, take that process to filter out and then change it. And like you said earlier, really, that's all based in awareness and being curious about your ancestors and going and looking into their lives, seeing what you can learn about them, which also tells you about yourself so that you have that power to choose what you want in the future. I mean, you can do it without it, but it's a real big help to actually be able to see what got passed down. And it's just more empowering that way rather than kind of looking in the dark to find out what you want or don't want. Yes. And what stirred me up in your words right now is is that appreciation, love, respect for what they have passed on good or bad, because everything they went through, every decision, everything they have done is a lesson for us. Anything, whether we like it or not, we can take it as a lesson. We can transform it into wisdom for us and future generations. And for those people who cannot find, you know, there are adopted people. And I remember Buffy St. Marie, the famous singer, she talks in her autobiography that she was adopted and she still doesn't know 
who are her parents, right? And I thought, well, how can people like that feel a connection and, and learn from their, their stories? Well, in my opinion, and please say what you think about this, they are in our blood. They are in our DNA. I don't think we are cut off from our ancestors. We consciously don't know who they are. We don't have the paperwork. Forget about the bureaucracy. Just listen. Because in your body, like my teacher, Tanya Taylor Rubinstein from Somatic Writing said, it, they are, the stories are in your body. And we can learn through different tools how to listen to our bodies and get those stories out. So that's another way, listening to ourselves, our bodies, because the stories are right within us. That is true. Well, thank you so much, Andrea, for sharing your thoughts and your family experiences with us. Thank you for having me. It was really, really a great joy. Thank you for joining me today for Stories in Our Roots. Please help this podcast grow by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing it with your friends. If you have feedback or would like to recommend someone to share their story, head to storiesinourroots.com and fill out the form. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week.